thus, like was already said earlier this morning, if you are our guest, please know that you are our honored guest, and we would love for you to stick around after service. Two things I want to highlight, one that John has already highlighted tonight, from 6 to 7, our family ministry, Johnny, Hope, and Alex, will be leading us through a very special service from 6 to 7 p.m., so if you can be here, that would be a great event. It's going to be hosted down in our Whit Family Life Center in the gym from 6 to 7, so please make it a point to be here for that. Also, just wanted to remind you, on Wednesday nights, we always have a great menu of classes that we offer, and we also serve a great menu of food before those classes, starting at 5.30 until 6.15. If that is of interest to you, you can find out more information about that in your bulletin. You can call the office by tomorrow, reserve your place this week. We're having Pantero, so I highly encourage you to consider that um, if you don't have something planned on Wednesdays on a regular basis. Uh, We are in the midst of a sermon series that we are calling The Power of God's Presence. Actually, that's the name of this sermon. That's not the name of the sermon series. Today's sermon is called The Power of God's Presence as a part of this bigger series, In Search of Wonder. And we're considering what it means to gather as the worshipful community of God each week. Uh, Let's pray as we begin our sermon this morning. Father, we're grateful that you've called us together as your people. You've called us together from a variety of places and perspectives, and we stand here today as your people. As we just sang, we stand in awe of you. God, I pray that 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 song would give shape to our hearts, that we would live lives in awe of you no matter where we go, no matter what we do. God, I pray for this sermon this morning that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching that you would pour through me that gift by the power of your spirit and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts God help us to become people who are willing and ready to be transformed by your spirit God transform us more into the image of your son Jesus We pray these things in his name. Amen. You are God's building. Don't you know that you are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? A few weeks ago, I was scrolling on Twitter when an image caught my attention. It was the image that you see behind me this morning. It it was the image of an easel with a canvas on it in the middle of nowhere with this beautiful, gorgeous painting on the canvas. As you can see, it's this beautiful picture of a fading sun with oranges and blues and greens and reds as the sun dips over the horizon. And I stared at that image for a long time, and then I noticed what my friend had said about it. He had a commentary. He said, sometimes you can change your attitude by simply changing your perspective. This is not a canvas. It's a mirror. And you right now are probably doing the thing that I was doing when I read that comment. I was peering a bit more intently at the image. And while the image may be too big and far away, if you look very closely, you can see that you're not looking at a canvas. You're looking at 
a mirror. The reason why the picture looks so realistic is because it is realistic. This artist had creatively placed a mirror in just a certain way where it looked like a painting, but when in reality it was just a reflection. Sometimes you can change your perspective simply by changing your attitude. I think this is a principle that applies to a lot of different areas of our life, but I think it's a a principle that especially applies to our worship assembly gatherings, these times when we come together to worship. Because whether you know it or not, you have a particular attitude about these worship assemblies based upon a particular perspective that you bring. And and we all bring perspectives to this assembly event. It's true for us, and it's true for the church at Corinth, to whom our passage that we heard earlier was written to. The church at Corinth was a church that had some various perspectives on what was happening when they gathered for worship. Uh, Probably more accurately you could say that they had lost perspective on what was really happening when they gathered for worship. And the passage that Matt read for us earlier kind of gives us a glimpse into the change in perspective. Basically, in short, they were a divided community. They had divided themselves based upon different personalities and persons that had worked with their church before. And so some said, I belong to Apollos and his work with our church. I belong to Paul and his work with our church. And there kind of became this quarreling, fractured, competitive community when the church at Corinth gathered together. And it was having a ripple effect throughout their entire church's life together, including their worship assembly. I don't know if you know this or not, but but once upon a time, worship was a hot topic for Christians. Once upon a time, worship could really get people stirred up, people of faith. Once upon a time, of course. And so Paul is going to write a lot about worship in this letter, later in the letter, in chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14. And he's going to talk about a variety of worship issues, ranging from hairstyles and gender distinctions to speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, we're not going to get into the details of all those issues this morning, but if you have any questions about any of those topics, feel free to email me those questions at kowen at collegehills.org. And I will be happy to answer any of those questions for you. The church at Corinth was divided in worship because they were divided in loyalty. When they came together to worship, there was this spirit of competitiveness, this spirit of fracture, this spirit of divisiveness, all based upon this particular perspective that they were bringing to the assembly time. And so Paul writes this letter to help change their perspective on worship. And he's going to write a lot about worship in chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14. But Paul starts laying groundwork for what he's going to say later in the letter 
early in the letter, in the passage that was read for us this morning. And it's brilliant what Paul does. Because Paul basically gives these two key images for the community to understand themselves as the people of God gather. The, The first image, the first thing that he says is, you are God's building. He envisions the community when they gather together as this unified structure built on Jesus Christ, the one and only foundation of the church. And he basically makes an argument for unity through this image. He says that when you build, you need to build in ways that honor that building and that foundation of Jesus Christ. And then he puts a a bit finer point on it just a few verses later by posing a question. He says, do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? They're not just any kind of building. They are the temple of God. Now, there's an important detail that kind of gets lost a bit in translation here. But when Paul uses the word you here, it's not in the singular, it's in the plural. And so a good southern translation of this question is, do y'all not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in y'all? Paul has this communal vision in mind when he gives this image. He's not talking about individuals, he's talking about a community gathered together. We need to stop here and and just realize how scandalous this statement is from Paul. Because when Paul writes this letter, the temple of God is still existing in Jerusalem. And the temple of God in Jerusalem was the place where God's spirit dwelt. That was perceived, the perspective was that God's spirit was in that building and in that place in Jerusalem. And Paul comes along, and he challenges that perspective. And he says the presence of God is not in a particular building, but it is when the community gathers together. It's not with a particular place, it is with a particular people. That when you gather together, it's a sacred moment, because God's Spirit is with you. God is with the building that is the people of God, not this building in another part of the world. That's in chapter 3. And here's where Paul gets brilliant. Because he'll go on to write the rest of the letter, and he's going to talk about that normal church stuff. There's a man sleeping with his father's wife, there's food sacrificed to idols, you know, normal church kinds of things that Paul needs to address. And then... He gets to that section on worship, 11 through 14. And when he comes to that very last chapter on worship, chapter 14, Paul begins to use a very interesting phrase that means to build up or building up. And he uses it a lot in his closing chapter on worship. And so when he talks about people prophesying, he says that they do that for others. They do that for their building up and encouragement and comfort. Some translations use the word strengthening. Some use the word edifying. I prefer the translation building up or edifying because you hear that word building. You hear that word edifice in it. And then Paul keeps talking. He keeps writing. And he says, if you have the choice between tongues or prophecy, 
pick prophecy because it is for the building up of the church. And then Paul, as he's known to do, wants to drive the point home again, and he's talking about spiritual gifts in general. He says, if you're going to choose a spiritual gift, if you're going to strive after a spiritual gift, strive after those gifts that bring about the building up of the church. And then Paul talks about the entire assembly time, where people are bringing hymns and bringing interpretations and they're bringing tongues and they're bringing all these different things to the worship assembly. He kind of gives this principle for worship. He says, let all things be done for the building up of the church. Four times in the last chapter that he writes on worship, four times he uses the verb that is directly related to the noun that he uses in chapter 3. He's trying to bring point, bring point a home, bring a point home that he made early on in this letter. In other words, their times of worship, their times of assembly, their times of gathering together are a time for them to live into their identity as God's people. That when they worship, it's a time where they embrace that identity as the building and temple of God. Because when they gather, the Spirit is there. When they gather God's presence is in their midst. This is the new perspective that Paul wants to give to the church at Corinth. And it's this new perspective that he wants us to hear this morning as well. That when we gather together as the people of God, God's Spirit is in our midst. When we gather together as the building and temple of God, God is present. And that is a truth, and that is a perspective that we can claim this morning. Which sounds really good, right? But it also kind of sounds like the thing that the preacher's supposed to say, right? Because the more I, I kind of wrestled with this claim, the more I realized how difficult this can be to embrace. This is a, a hard truth to embrace. Because very often we can be quite a divided and conflicted people. I don't know if your house was like mine growing up where the trip on Sunday mornings had some excitement and eventfulness to it. There was fights to get people out of bed. There were debates on what could and couldn't be worn to church. There was occasionally a gentle honking of the horn of the car to hurry up certain people. And then you drive to the church building and you ponder those really big theological questions like did I turn the iron off or not what are we going to eat for lunch did I put deodorant on this morning there was a, a member here that I was talking to a few weeks ago and he was telling me about this this rough season that he and his spouse were going through. And he said that their drive to church each week was kind of like a royal rumble in their car that they would drive to here at this building. And then they would get to the parking lot, and they would always say to each other, okay, it's time to put on our parking lot smiles. And they would get out of the car, and they would walk into this building. Those liars would do that each week. 
And then we get into the building, and that doesn't make anything better always, right? Because sometimes we end up seeing the person who owes us money, who hasn't paid us in a while. Sometimes we see the person that we kind of want to clothesline because of the thing that they said to us over a decade ago that we still haven't let go of. Sometimes we don't see each other, we just see our Facebook profiles, and that isn't always a good thing. And that's before we've even begun to sing the first song. And I am not even this morning going to get into people's mild opinions about what happens in this space every Sunday. And so this claim, you are God's temple. You are God's building. The Spirit of God dwells in your midst might just be a difficult claim for us to embrace this morning. And so I think it's really important for us to remember the kind of church that the church at Corinth really was. The church at Corinth was a divided church. They had this personality loyalty. They were loyal to different personalities within their church. The church at Corinth was was a church who had some issues. They had a man sleeping with his father's wife. They had people eating food sacrificed to idols. They had people suing each other within the church. They had people visiting temple prostitutes and not thinking twice about it. They had some issues at Corinth. And they also had some questions. They had questions that caused them to seek outside help from Paul. They had questions about sex and marriage and divorce. They had questions about food sacrificed to idols. They had questions about worship. They had questions about the resurrection. The church at Corinth had issues of division, they had issues in general, and they had a lot of questions. And we need to be brutally honest about that fact. Because we make a tragic mistake when we try to to paint the first century church as some pristine ideal for which we should strive, and we don't admit the gritty, messy reality that these churches were facing. And we also need to be brutally honest, not just about the kind of church that Corinth was, but we also need to be brutally honest about when Paul claims their identity. Before he gets into those issues, before he gets into their questions, Paul says to them, you are God's building. You are the temple of God. Before Paul even begins to talk about worship, he claims their identity as the people of God, the building of God, the Spirit of God dwells in their midst. That before they can do anything about it, God's presence is with them. God's presence is with them, even if they don't have it all together. God's presence is with them, even if they have issues and questions. God's presence is not dependent upon their performance. And God's presence isn't dependent upon your performance either, or my performance either. That's the scandalous claim of the gospel. That's the scandalous claim of the power of God's presence. That The the power of God's presence is that God chooses to be present with us, whether we have it all together or not. As individuals or as a community, God is still with us. We are still the building and temple of God, and that is good news. I was eating lunch with a leader a few weeks ago. And we were talking about life and ministry and worship. 
Because sometimes people talk about worship at lunch, not just on Sundays, but other lunches through the week. And he made this statement to me. He said, Wilson, when, when we gather together in worship, that should be a transformative moment. That when we gather together as the people of God, it should be a transformative moment. And whether or not he intended it to be, he was drawing on the truth of this text from Paul. That the Spirit of God is in our midst when we gather. And one of the primary roles of the Spirit is to bring about our transformation into the image of of Jesus. And so each week we gather, we should have the perspective that God is here with us and the attitude that transformation will happen by the power and spirit of God. But we also need to admit that transformation means change. And change sometimes means discomfort. A month ago, we had our intergenerational worship service, and there was a quote that I stumbled on by John Ortberg that kind of guided how we set that service up. He says, effective intergenerational worship would be a congregation of diverse ages sitting through a service of mixed styles that displeases everyone equally. Now, I love this quote for for two reasons. One, Ortberg reminds us that when it comes to worship, we're having a big difference, or we should make a big difference between our comfort zone and our conviction zone. And that for a lot of us, when it comes to worship, we're being driven primarily by our comfort zone and not our conviction zone. Because for some of us, the primary question we ask about these worship assemblies is, does it make me happy? When an even more important question that we should be asking is, does it make me holy? And holiness is always defined by the work and person of Jesus Christ. Holiness always means that we're going to take on a more Christ-shaped posture in how we live in the world. The second reason I like this quote is because Ortberg reminds us about the diversity of the body, the diversity of the building of God when we gather together. And the temptation about diversity is that diversity can often lead to division, but... When we begin to hear these words of Paul, that that the Spirit dwells in the diverse building of Christ, in the diverse body of Christ, then it changes our posture towards that diversity. We can acknowledge it, appreciate it, and even honor it. And that's the thing about perspective we can never forget. That changing our perspective will change our attitude, and our attitude should always change our actions. Our acts of worship, our actions in this space. Because we are God's building, we are God's temple, and we are a diverse group of people gathered together. And whether we have it all together or not, God's spirit is with us and present. And that perspective should change how we live and how we act and how we worship. That we should be a gathering that doesn't just acknowledge, but honors this beautiful, diverse body that God has given us, that God chooses to be present with. And so when we gather to worship, we should worship in ways that build up all the parts of the body. 
we should worship in such ways that are filled with love and appreciation for this diverse body and building that God has given us. And when we have that spirit of unity and love each and every week, built on the one and only foundation of the church, Jesus Christ, when someone comes into our midst and they experience worship with us, they will then be able to really say, God is really among you. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for this community of faith. We're grateful that you are present with us as we're still trying to figure out what it means to be faithful. I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment, but most importantly, give us love. Give us love for each other as we try to be your people of God together. God, thank you for claiming our identity before we could ever do anything about it. We're grateful for Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, who dwells and lives with us as a community, we pray. Amen. Do you have any response to the invitation this morning? If you would like to pray with a shepherd and their wife, we have them in the back, or you can come to the front. Whatever your need is, you can do that now while we stand and sing.